Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Carl inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. And you're on the record. It's a time after the British Open and after Wimbledon where the scene shifts back to U.S. golf, tennis, everything else, baseball, series. NFL camp's open. We have Mark Lamping, the president of the Jaguars, to celebrate that. Before we start that, let's discuss the deal-making issues of the week. Three to one. Three. Fox and Flutter are close to sports betting business closing it called Foxbet, Bloomberg reports. They may close it as early as next month. Flutter retains the consumer database and the market access assignments associated with the business. Fox will keep the rights to the brand and its option to buy a 16 to 18.6 stake in FanDuel, a unit of Flutter. The announcement regarding the closure could come as soon as the end of July. Fox sued Flutter in 2021 in a case related to exercising its option to buy the 18.6% stake in FanDuel. Sports betting continues to take countless different turns at every corner, and the market seems to be constantly shifting. Two. Scoreplay raises $5 bucks in seed funding. Alexis Ohanian's 776 venture capital firm led the funding round. Kevin Durant, Rich Kleiman, 35 Ventures, Manchester United defender Rafael Varane, and others, by the way. The $5 million raise now takes the firm's total funding to $6.5 million. As an individual sport, more and more important for us, they say, to build our own brands and build our fans' following. No way of receiving content easily. Can't wait to help Scoreplay solve the problem in tennis. A fresh investment Moving to the next step. One. Google bundles the NFL Sunday ticket with WBD's Max and Verizon Mobile plans. Verizon, a major partner with the NFL, upgrading 27 of the league's 30 stadiums to 5G and facilitating on-the-field communications between coaches. The rights to the Sunday ticket package or out-of-market games were previously held by DirecTV, which used the rights as a way to encourage sign-ups to its satellite television service. However, the NFL repositioned Sunday Ticket as a streaming package, allowing Google to fend off reported competition from the likes of Amazon and Apple to win a protracted battle for the NFL rights in December. The company will reportedly pay between $2 and $2.5 billion a year for the package. Non-subscribers expect to pay another $100 a season for either package. Priced attractively enough to drive subscriptions, but not so competitively that the NFL's linear broadcast partners, CBS and Fox, felt their audience was being cannibalized. Deal-making issue number one. Well, as you could tell very clearly, all about football. Hall of Fame weekend, NFL preseason, NFL injuries, and celebrating the NFL with somebody who's been around it for a long time. Mark Lamping Born and raised in St. Louis, the son of a carpenter, and one of eight children in his family. College soccer scholarship enabled him to attend Rockhurst College in Kansas City. He earned a degree in accounting. His professional career started at Anheuser-Busch, where he worked 14 years in sales, marketing, and new products before becoming head of sports marketing. 
94 at the age of 36. He was hired as president of the St. Louis Cardinals. He spent 14 years at the helm, including a World Series title in 2006. 2008, he became president and CEO of the Meadowlands, managing construction of the Giants and Jets' new stadium in East Rutherford, and then named president of the Jaguars on February 13, 2012. Serves on the board of directors of a half dozen nonprofits across Jacksonville and inducted in the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame in 2021. Clearly very important perspective, all about Jacksonville and the NFL. I give you Mark Lampert. So it's 1980, and you're at Sigma Alpha Epsilon, and you're celebrating with your guys, and you're graduating Rockhurst University in Kansas City, Kansas. Did you ever contemplate all of the deals you would do, the Giants, the Jets, the Bush Stadium, uh, obviously the long-term deal with the Jaguars? How, How do you... How do you foresee a career track like this? No, you can't. You can't. And people would be lying if they said that they could, you know, predict what was going to happen with me. I was such a beneficiary of uh, of great timing and and great luck. And you know, I was I was graduating from college and I had a job offer at Anheuser Busch. And you know, one of my former youth soccer coaches happened to be the president of of Anheuser Busch. And and uh, I was all excited about getting this job. I was actually getting married uh, a couple weeks after I uh, graduated. So I thought having a job and moving back home to St. Louis, I thought would be great. But I got advice from him to say, no, no, don't take this job. Go to business school. And then uh, when you get out of business school, you know, there'll, there'll be better opportunities for you. So, you know, I did that. And then I went, joined Anheuser-Busch and, you know, had a really fortunate career that, you know, led to so many wonderful things. Let's go through this for a minute. And you're, you know, through the early 90s uh, as the group director of uh, sports marketing, those relationships that AB had and Tony Pontoro talks about it in my book as well. Uh, the Olympics, the World Cup, MLB, NFL, uh, NHL, all of the major organizations. And you were basically the designated uh, implementer and the doler out of outer of money. It was a big deal for you. Well, the big doler out of the dollar outer of money at Anheuser Busch, people that had control over the advertising and the media uh, budget. So great people like Chuck Fruit and uh, the Tony Pontero and the, the P- Peter McLaughlin, the people that really had the advertising dollars. They they're the ones that got invited to all the parties and got all the good Christmas gifts. Um, you know, the sponsorship side what was a significant part of it, but it but it was just a a percentage of. Um, of what the media budget was. Well, so, but you do cut your teeth and it's a very significant, diverse experience that not a whole lot of people have. So it's uh, September 1, 1994, and you come back and uh, you're not offered the uh, priesthood. So you take the position as president <laughs> of the Cardinals and five central division titles, uh, the 2006 opening of Bush Stadium, uh, the new one. Man, how do you time it where you open a stadium at the same time the team wins its 10th World Series at the same year? That, what, a, what, a, what an amazing position you put yourself in. That was, that was un, I mean, that was unbelievable. You know, it, I think it has happened one other time. I think when uh, Yankee Stadium opened, the Yankees won a championship that year. But it was a, it was a real special year. I mean, a lot of things went well for the team that year. You know, we were made a late run to, to get into the playoffs. And, uh, and then, 
beat the Mets in a in a, a great NLCS, and the Tigers had had won the, the American League pennant, but they won really early on, so they were sitting on their hands for four or five days, and they went into the World Series really cold, and you know we we won in five games. It's still the most significant uh, moment I've had in sports is being there, you know, with my family, with my kids, yeah. and sacrificed so much to support us in these types of careers. And we were all able to celebrate as a family a world championship that, um, you know, sort of came out of nowhere. So you're hired by Meadowland Stadium Company and and uh, the 2008 kind of year of a billion six facility that gets done. Uh, that was a, incredibly interesting as an outsider that are list, people listening. Uh, you were you weren't hired directly by the Mets, the, excuse me, the Jets or the Giants, but by the, the the stadium company to build a facility that was basically half and half by both the green team and the blue team. So you your role was pretty unique in that context, right? Yeah, I, I basically worked for the joint venture uh, between the two teams. So, you know, I reported to the board of the joint venture, which was made up of John Mara, Woody Johnson, and a, a few other executives from both of the teams. So, you know, I was... Um, you know, it was a it was a big job to manage just the project itself. I had come off the new stadium uh, construction in, in St. Louis, and I and I enjoyed that. But it was also uh, to be serve as the mediator uh, between uh, the two teams. And you know, I had I had been in sports for a long enough time. I had known all the principals, uh, you know, through anti-Bush sponsorship activities. So. You know, I, I, I came into the job with a different background than most sort of stadium construction people would. And, you know, I I loved it. I, I mean, there was people were saying this is going to be a nightmare. The two teams will never get along. And I never had one instance where either one of the teams ever made decisions that weren't in the best interest of their joint investment in the stadium. Well, you're a deal maker. You're a marketer. You brought significant chops to the deal, but also being that uh you know night school resident psychologist also probably <laughs> probably helped in that deal uh it, it it required a significant amount of consensus and, and and agreement though don't you agree well it did but you know the key was i you if you're if you keep your ears open a lot you can understand what's real you know i knew what was really important to john mara and i knew what was really important to woody johnson all i had to do was convince each one of them that hey john's Woody John's going to let you do this, but here's what he wants to do. And I don't think that's going to affect you at all. So, you know, I you always tried to make it a win for both teams. Sometimes things had to go a little slower in, in, in some instances, but you know, like I said, it, they're, they're, they're great sportsmen and, and they, they did a, a you know wonderful job in, in pulling something off that is not easy to do. And that's a 50, 50 share, truly a 50, 50 shared facility. You know, your template is I'm sure the SoFi template in the context of you had to not only appeal, appealing to both teams and make sure they felt like this was their stadium, but you had two sets of PSL skybox suite tickets, and they both really had to believe they were their own stadium. Right? Yeah, and and you know, like I said, the structure in at, at MetLife Stadium was a was a very good one where the major sponsorships were sold by the joint venture, so the naming rights and the cornerstone sponsors, all the suites were offered. You know, for the first couple years, uh, you could only buy them if you're buying both teams. So that was an advantage. And then the and then the teams themselves had control over all their 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 
their their ticketing and um, and all of the digital advertising inside the stadium. So the permanent stuff was sold by the joint venture. And you know the it, it was it perfect? Absolutely not. But it, but it worked very well. And particularly when you look back on it now, at 1.6 billion, it seemed like I can't believe that they can build a stadium for 1.6 billion. Now that's about the ingoing price for about any stadium. 2014 was the first uh, Super Bowl played in an open air stadium uh, in a cold weather city, but you had no control over the weather. The week before, <laughs> you look at the forecast. What? Did you sleep that week before? You know what? The, you, you anyone who went to that that uh, Super Bowl knows it was like unseasonably warm. There was all these all these warming tents were 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 put in place and. It was a great thing, actually. You know, I, I I was a big part of of the presentation and the plan to you know to bring the Super Bowl, um, but I, I had actually left to go to the Jaguars. But I came back to the game to attend the Super Bowl, and you know, the next day they had tremendous ice storms. So had those ice storms occurred, you know, the day before, it it, it would have been ice bowl too. And let's segue into uh, February uh, 13, thousand twelve. Uh, Shad Khan makes a decision to hire uh, a, a president, uh, the first president since 1996 of, of the Jaguars. So not only did he have faith in you, but he had faith in your comprehensive ability to be the de facto business guy for his entire world. How did that all come to be? Well, I was, um, you know, I, I, I left St. Louis and I was four years into a five-year employment contract in in New York, I knew that I was going to be leaving after that fifth year because the, you know, the project was complete and it was a it was a project related uh, assignment. Um, you know, I I, we, I know I could have stayed there uh, without question, but I really fell in love with the NFL. You know, I saw it uh, through uh, its structure, which I think is the best structure of a league uh, throughout uh, uh, the entire world. Uh, the unbelievable emotional connection between the football fans and their and their favorite team and really had hoped to stay in the nfl and you know i'd been in florida a lot as you know we used to cross paths down in the the palm beach gardens area and uh was going there with the cardinals for a long time at the spring training in jupiter and and um i had never met shod uh shod was actually somebody referred shod to me actually when he was thinking about buying the St. Louis Rams. Then, uh, so I got connected with him through a guy by the name of Jim Woodcock and Joe Lasessi, who you know at uh, at Proskauer. And I actually got a call from Joe, sort of out of the blue, wondering if I'd be interested in in shooting down to uh, to uh, Jacksonville to to meet Shot. And I did that near the end of January. And, you know, my wife was was at our home in uh, um, in Palm Beach Gardens, so. She drove up for the weekend. I flew down from New York and, uh, you know, two weeks later, he offered me the job and uh, I've loved it. He's a, he's a he's an unbelievable person and a uh, great, great boss, a wonderful person to work for. And the things we've gotten to work on down here are well beyond what I ever thought we'd be able to do. Well, we'll, we'll get into those in, in the time we have left. But uh, when you look at the uh, uh, bio of yours as it relates to your your current job description, 
the Bold Events uh, Company, uh, Lache Master Mixed Use, TIAA Bank uh, Renovation, the Fulham Football Club, uh, and, and what happened at Cra- Craven Cottage and the Riverside uh, Stand and the Team Stadium. The stuff, the Performance Center, uh, I missed a lot. But how do you how do you prioritize, how do you multitask, and how do you delegate? Well, I delegate quite a bit because I've got the opportunity to delegate. I've got an un- unbelievably strong staff. Uh, most of the of my direct reports have, have all been here for six, seven years, some the full 10 years that I've been here. And I've got great confidence in their ability to, um, to accomplish what they're being asked to get done. Um, you know, I tend to focus on the issue of the day and uh, one day it, it might be some financial matters involving the Fulham football club. The next day it might be a construction issue with our sports performance center. You know, tomorrow it might be meeting with the city regarding modifications to a, uh, a redevelopment agreement. Um, you know, we've uh, just acquired some additional property here around the stadium. We're in the midst of a major uh, review of the stadium pointing towards a, a major, major renovation of the stadium where, you know, we've received uh, eight submissions from the leading from many sports, leading sports architects in the country on the stadium of the future here. So we we're not lacking in, in things to do. And, you know, it's, it's just having, having strong enough people around you. That's, that's the real key. I could not do this if I didn't have a really strong staff of very capable people that don't need to be micromanaged. Are you comfortable that you have a process in place to preserve the Jaguars long-term and what other support pro bowl in the future, maybe draft in the future, maybe another Super Bowl? you know, that's a complicated question, but, but answer it. You know, I, 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 th- I think we do, Rick. This is a tough market, and and you know, our our on field performance has not been good at all. So that doesn't that doesn't make anybody's job easier. But at the same time, that's not something that that all of us control. So we're not going to spend too much time wor- uh, worrying about that. Jacksonville is a growing city, and you know we are you know we can't grow to the east as you. As you know, we do have a presence in London, an annual presence over there, which is a big part of. That's ways. That's that's ways. That's for the of what, of what yeah. we do. But yeah. you know, there's a there's a there's there's three things that we believe we have to accomplish to to make sure that we can bring NFL football to Northeast Florida for generations to come. Uh, first, you know, we we have to start putting a better football team on the field. You can't expect to get the fan support and the community support if they're constantly disappointed with the product. And, you know, uh, this is the time of year to be, to be optimistic. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're hopeful going into next year that, you know, we'll have um, great improvement on the field. You know, the second thing we have to do is make sure we've got a stadium that can serve the needs of our fans and other stakeholders, you know, for a generation or two to come. So this current stadium won't do that. But we have kicked off a process almost two years ago in conjunction with the city of Jacksonville to try to deal with what the long-term stadium solution is. And I'm confident that we'll get there because our interests are, are very much aligned. And then, and then the third, and maybe the most important, is that downtown Jacksonville has to realize its full potential. I mean, Jacksonville is a, is a great city with unbelievable natural resources. We're in a good climate very favorable taxing environment. We got great healthcare infrastructure. We got beautiful uh, beaches, beautiful 
uh, historic river that comes right through downtown Jacksonville. And yet the city, the city itself, downtown Jacksonville, has quite honestly not kept up with other cities that have a lot less things going for them than we do. And we need to change that. So that's why Shot is so focused on downtown development. Are you preparing for the appropriate public-private partnership? Absolutely. That's why our process has been inclusive of the city of Jacksonville that we started to, you know, two years ago. Um, yeah, there, look, there's, there's nothing that's going to change our schedule that just because something happened in Buffalo or Nashville or, uh, you know, Kansas city, that's not going to change our schedule, but it is an important data point. It's a con. And, you know, there's one thing that's, that's, that that's undeniable. And that is that if you're in a smaller revenue market, the participation from the public sector is greater than it would be if it was a high revenue market. You know, you know, New York arguably could afford to privately finance a stadium because they have the great capacity of, of, of revenue potential in that market. They have scale. They have millions and millions of people. That doesn't exist in, in markets like Buffalo or here in Jacksonville. So there, there needs to be the trade needs to be a trade-off. You don't, you never want to put an NFL team, in a situation where they're at a, a, a market revenue disadvantage and they don't have any type of, of expense advantage. So if, if you have both of those, you're, you're, you, are, you are not going to be stable and you're going to have real issues. And, and I think everybody understands that. What we don't know is, is what is it going to cost? And we're on a path to determining that. And then once we know what it's going to cost, we'll, we'll uh, work with the city to determine what can they justify and then what can what what can we put in and get a reasonable return on? How do you uh, uh, affirmatively and aggressively work to make sure that the next generation of fans are Jaguar fans? Well, we have to to, to intentionally engage them. That's for certain. You know, the other trend that is not necessarily the most positive is that what you're what you're seeing across most sports is that. Um, the percentage of kids, young kids that are actually participating in sports and the amount of time that they're devoting to physical activity has been declining. And we know this, that if, 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 if someone has played the game, um, their uh, probability of, of, of having an affinity for that sport going forward when they're no longer able to compete goes way up. And then a shameless plug, uh, you know, we've talked about the uh... – uh, sports Debate Advisory Council I have put together with the Secretary of Former uh, Sec uh, Commissioner of Education and the idea of, of, of uh, rational thought and uh, debate and, and academics with a sports theme makes kids more interested, brighter, smarter, more compelled to move in the next step. Teams all over the state are, are, are doing this with me and I appreciate you being involved as well. Talk a little bit about that whole uh, process. You know, I think that's, that's, that's a wonderful program um, that, that you and uh, Richard Corcoran originally uh, put together. I think one of the, you know, the academic pursuits are fundamental to everybody. The single most important thing you can do that will affect your life going forward is, is focusing on your, your education. And when you can, provide a program that allows an academic pursuit to um, have a, a competition where there's a winner and a loser, and you, you, you probably learn more from losing than you do by winning. 
and to be able to apply that in an academic environment, I think is awesome, you know, because not everybody can be the star of the football team. If you focus on it, you can uh, uh, develop debate skills and, and to be able to have a competition, I think is a good thing. Mark Lamping has an incredible perspective about all things NFL and clearly all things Jacksonville and Fulham. He clearly works with for the Shad companies, Jacksonville Stadium, Jacksonville Development and the like. Let's do a Sports Tech Minute. Fanatics launches live online shopping via their interactive e-commerce app. They're working with the broad range of individuals, brands, and sports leagues on content, including Major League Baseball and Slam Magazine, as well as its own autograph and memorabilia divisions. And the Topps trading card business was acquired for $500 million last year. Fanatics Live is currently available on iOS in North America, with more regions and Android support in the works. At your Sports Tech Minute, how about gaming? Points bet final quarter shows profitable U.S. sports betting markets for its buyer, Fanatics. Points bet CEO Sam Swanell announced the final quarter revenue of $102.3 million, up nearly 20% year over year. The U.S. market accounted for $40 million of the overall net win and up 35.5% from the same quarter in 2022. The online sports book currently operates in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Michigan, New Jersey, Maryland, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Virginia, etc. Points Bet believes that selling off its U.S. operations will allow the company to cut down on spending and focus more on the Canadian and Australian markets. That's your Gaming Minute. Finally, in this era of philanthropy, as always, your Good Sports 5. Toronto Maple Leafs players known for their extreme philanthropy. Rather than allow a nice one-off interaction with the NHL, remaining in touch with families, Mitch Marner, a name that pops up again and again in charitable circles. Jalen Brown gives an impressive answer on using his money to bring a black Wall Street to Boston. His historically large $303.7 million contract with the Celtics. He wants to attack the wealth disparity, investment in community, and also the wealth disparity nationally. Great answer. Cops and Kids Scarborough Strong Hockey Camp helps unite the community. NHL Goals and Dreams Fund continues to move that forward. Tom Brady raised about $46.5 million for best buddies, building a $300 million empire through his career, and Tom Brady's impact goes way beyond his game. With his newfound financial resources, he has the potential to create even more significant and meaningful contributions to various causes, the Boys and Girls Club being the biggest beneficiary. And the Red Devils agree to a deal for Rasmus Hushland, He's back to the Champions League play for a third-place finish. Now they're in the Champions League. It's important to improve their depth. It's a move where United will have to be careful with its development, but one that could certainly work out for the Red Devils in the long run as the Danish forward has tons of potential and clearly philanthropically and charitably as well. Well, that's our show for the week. We'd like to thank Mark Lamping to uh, lend his expertise 
the Jaguars, and otherwise. I'd like to thank Nick Nielsen for helping us put the show together. And thank you all for listening and watching. Look forward to joining us next week and next, next episode when we continue to explore the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Sports professor Rick Haro, on the record, speak with you soon. <music>